We mentioned a machloket at the end of the last half between Shemuel and Rabbi Yochanan uh, regarding if a woman makes a vow uh, about two, two loaves of bread. One is really nice, fresh, beautiful piece of bread, and the other one is a stale, not tasty bread. And therefore, the husband surely can annul the part of the vow regarding the fresh bread because that's inui, uh, inui nafish. Uh, that is an affliction to her. She's looking at this nice piece of bread and she would certainly want to eat it. So the husband can annul that. Everyone agrees regarding that. Question is, what about the other one? Uh, do you say that once she makes a vow regarding one of them, so she can also uh, he can also undo the entire things. That was Shemuel's opinion. All right, since he does one, he does the entire. So he undoes the entire vow, and therefore she can't eat both. Rabbi Yochanan, however, says no. He only can undo half of the vow. Uh, the vow applies to both loaves. He can undo the one. The part of the vow that has to do with the nice fresh loaf, because that is uh, depriving herself. It's affliction. But the other one, the stale bread, has no taste. That's not an affliction. Nobody wants to eat it anyway. That was Rabbi Yochanan's opinion. And now we're going to challenge Rabbi Yochanan from a couple of sources. Itibe. Uh, so first, this is this is going on the version that Rav Asi uh, asked a question of Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan answered that. And so now he's going to challenge it from a Mishnah in Nazir. A woman said, I'm going to be a Nazir. And then she violated it by either drinking wine or she became impure um, to corpse impurity. Her penalty is that she has to get lashes. We're assuming a case where the husband, let's say she took a vow earlier in the day to be an Azir. Then she drank some wine, and afterwards her husband heard about it and annulled her vow. She gets 40 lashes because um, she violated the vow while the vow was still in effect. And the husband only later undid the, undid the vow, but she was in Nazira at the time. And so she has to, uh, sofeget literally means a sponge, to, she has to, has to absorb uh, 40 lashes. However, if the husband did annul her Nazira status before she uh, violated it. In other words, she made a vow in the morning. The husband heard about it at noon and said, not in front of her, and said, I annul that vow. At later on in that 2 p.m., she went and drank wine. And also forget that then she does not get lashes because at the time that she drank wine, that was already after the nullification, even though she didn't know about it. So as far as she's concerned, she did something bad because she thought it was prohibited. But in fact, it was okay. It's like, uh, you know, if you eat something thinking it's not kosher and you're going to get it anyway, turns out actually it was kosher. So you don't sin, even though you intended to sin. You still don't sin, so it's, she doesn't get 40. All right, that's the Mishnah. Now, if you say, like Rabbi Yochanan does, that a husband uh, can only nullify a part of a vow that causes her affliction, and the other half of a vow regarding the bread case, uh, which does not cause her affliction, he has no right to annul that. Well, then, if we apply it here, 
Um, uh, so if you say he can, also, he can only undo the part that causes affliction, not the other part, then you can, uh, it says Dilma, but really means like then surely he will, the husband uh, will nullify her vow regarding the wine, which is tasty and that's an affliction not to have wine. Um, so that part of it will be undone. But regarding the, uh, the, the uh, of skin and the seeds, that is one of the laws of a Nazir. Nazir not only can't have wine or grape juice, cannot even benefit from the skins of the grapes or even from the seeds. Um, but that is not an affliction. If you say, you tell me, no, you can't have grape seeds. Who wants grape seeds anyway? It's like grape nut cereal, right? Nobody likes that cereal. And so that would not be an affliction. Therefore, according to the Biochanan, the law should be that he can nullify, nullify Part of her Nizirut vow that has to do with wine, but not the part of the Nizirut vow that has to do with the seeds, um, because that has no affliction. And therefore, should she benefit, maybe the Dilma is going on, that the if, if she does benefit from the, the, the seeds or the skin, then she should get 40 lashes. And so here, when the Mishnah says she does not get 40 lashes, that proves that the and then the nizirut is entirely undone completely even though she on, she only gets benefit from part of it she only feels affliction from part of it nevertheless once the husband nullifies part he nullifies the whole thing this is a challenge to to be Yochanan. Um, out of Yosef and Nizirut and of Yosef explains no Nizirut is different from other types of vows you can't be half a nazir and other types of vows like with bread if I say I'm not going to eat both of these loaves, it could be that I'll undo half of it and the other half will still apply. It's um, Even though I'm saying one vow, but the vow applies to two things, so it's possible to separate them. But Nizirut doesn't make sense. You can't be a partial Nazir. The Nizirut prohibition cannot apply only to part of a prohibition. You can't say, I'm going to be a Nazir except for Merlot. I really like Merlot. But other uh, for Cabernet, that I'm gonna make a vow. I won't eat. I won't drink that. But I'll be a nazir for everything except Merlot. That doesn't make any sense. You can't do can't be half a nazir. And therefore, uh, once part of it is undone, the whole thing is undone. And here also, it's the same thing. You can't be a nazir only for uh, the only for the juice, but not the uh, but not the the uh, grape skins, right? That doesn't make sense. It's all one prohibition. We're gonna in a few minutes. We're gonna see, ask see whether. Um, you can be a Nazir for one of the three prohibitions. A Nazir is prohibited from the, uh, anything from a grape, uh, from becoming Tamer Lamet, and from cutting hair. So what if, uh, it, it, can you be a Nazir only for two of those three? Okay, we're going to come to that. But uh, over here, certainly it applies, you can't be half a Nazir for some parts of the grape, but not other parts. And that, that explains, so Rabbi Yochanan is certainly consistent, he can agree with that, and uh, you can agree with this Mishnah, that you can't separate Nizirut, but you can separate other vows. Okay, good. Now, once we mention this, we're going to go into a bit of a tangent on this concept of Nizirut, even though we answered the question to Rabbi Yochanan, right? then we're going to come back and ask another question against Rabbi Yochanan. So, Amar Abaye, Abaye is challenging Rabbi Yosef's formulation. HaKorban Lachasi Nizirut Ika? Abbe is asking Rav Yosef's formulation. You said you can't be, uh, take upon yourself half, a, half of a Nizirut prohibition. Uh, but you didn't say anything about the obligation of Korbanot. Nazir has to bring Korbanot 
either when they become Tamela Met, um, and also once they finish, uh, successfully finish the different types of different um, uh, numbers of Korbanot they have to bring. Um, so you only said about the Nizirut prohibition, but uh, do you mean to imply that it is possible to be obligated for part of the uh, the sacrifices um, uh, of of a nazir? Because you only said something anything you only said something about the prohibition. So rather, Abaye reformulates what Av Yosef meant. It's not clear if he's arguing or if he's just clarifying. Let's say he's clarifying. This is what he meant to say is not only is there no halfway uh, to be to take upon yourself a Nazir pro status vow, but there's also no half Korban. All right, it's all or nothing. If you're a Nazir, you bring all the Korbanot. If you're not, then you bring no Korbanot. Okay, now Me'etibe. We have a challenge on that, um, uh, the Abaye's formulation regarding being obligated to only some korbanot of a nazir. And here, Ha'isha shenadra benazir vifrisha behemta v'achar kechefer la ba'ala mebi'ah chata ta'of v'enah mebi'ah ola ta'of. Braita says that a woman takes a, becomes a nazir and she set aside an animal or, or all her animals for it. Now, it doesn't say what the case is, um, uh, whether she became Tameh or she um, completed her, uh, her, her entire Nezirut um, uh, time period. Uh, the, the sacrifices would be different. And so we'll be able to tell from the sacrifices which one it is. Um, if a Nazir becomes Tameh during the time period that they're supposed to be a Nazir, then they have to bring um, one sheep and two birds, uh, two birds of a Chatat and an Ola. Um, okay, and uh, that's so. So one one uh, animal and two birds, chatat and ola. When someone finishes being a nazir, they bring three animals um, in uh, um, in ola, a chatat, and a shelamim, as well as um, some menachot. Okay, so three animals if they finish. Okay, so now we can go back here and see. Um, she uh, became a nazir. She separated. She designated the animals that she will have to bring, and then the husband comes and nullifies it. I guess he just heard about it. Then nullifies it. She nevertheless has to uh, sacrifice the off the the one of the birds as a chatat. So since it's involving a bird here, um, uh, probably she became impure. That's the case. So she became impure, and now the other things, the animal. What happens to that? If uh, if it's if she doesn't own it like it's her husband's and okay that doesn't it's not consecrated anymore, but the off she still has to bring, um, but she doesn't have to bring the ola. So you see here that there is a concept of a partial obligation of sacrifices. She brings one of the obligate one of the sacrifices, but not the other bird and not the animal. But you you just said that there's no possibility of a partial obligation of sacrifices. So why should she bring uh one of the birds as a chatat? Okay, So now we're saying, okay, so what do you want to say? The opposite? We're gonna prove we can answer that question by challenging the opposite presumption. If you say that there is a possibility of partial, 
hatat ola ushlamim. Then what about a case of a person, a woman like this, who finishes, uh, she says, nizira for 30 days, and then uh, um, the husband afterwards nullifies about it and nullifies her vow at that point. So then what are you going to say? She brings only one of the three animals? That's not the halacha. So we don't say a uh, partial animal regarding the three, uh, partial sacrifice regarding the three animals. So you know what? It makes much more sense. Cause, so you're going to have a problem if you go that way. Rather, it makes more sense to go to, uh, with the presumption. And what Abaya said, that um, there is, you cannot bring partial. And that's why you'd never bring the three animals when she completed. And what about our case when she became Tameh? The reason why she brings a chatata off is because she's doing it only out of uncertainty. And there is such a concept of bringing a bird as a chatat for uncertainty. We find such a concept elsewhere. Uh, for example, a woman who gave birth to a child, she has to bring a chatata off. What if she's not sure? She had a miscarriage, but the miscarriage is early on, and she's not sure was this uh, was this uh, an early um, uh, 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 an early um, uh, uh, pregnancy or was it uh, just blood? She's not sure. She can bring a chatat of a bird misafek. And so to hear, so this woman will be obligated just as a safek because, in fact, uh, she did become a nazir for some period of time and she became tamed. She wasn't supposed to do that. So, okay, she could bring a chatat, but that's not called a partial uh, sacrifice. It's just bringing one of the th- one of the things because... Um, because of some possibility of sin. Uh, but that doesn't challenge the rule. That's it's consistent with the rule that you, you're not actually bringing any sacrifice for the nizirut. And so Abaye uh, is able to answer the question. All right, so we solved that tangent. Now back to the main uh, line of questioning against Rabbi Yochanan, who said that you can nullify half of a vow. The one that has the, the, good, the good bread, but not the other bread. This question is from a Braita that is very, very similar to the Braita that we just read. It was a little bit different. Uh, so she became uh, Nezira and now she became Tameh. And then the, uh, the husband uh, undid it. She has to bring Hatata off um, and that. Um, uh, and, uh, she brings the kataof and not the olataof. Okay, here it says explicitly she became tameh. In the previous case, it didn't say uh, that previous case where she separated an animal. Okay, so anyway, in this braita, she becomes tameh. So we're going to ask, we're going to use this braita as a challenge to Rabbi Yochanan. According to you, Rabbi Yochanan, that the husband can undo only part of a vow that causes her affliction, well, that would be the wine part. Not having wine, that's a cause of affliction. But he cannot undo the part of the vow that does not cause her affliction. Well, not becoming tameh lamet, that's not, doesn't cause an affliction, right? If someone says, I'm not going to become tameh lamet, okay, good. So then they uh, they can't uh, deal with dead bodies. They can't go to cemeteries, right? It's, that's not an affliction. 
Therefore, part of the Nizirut vow should still apply, right? The part that has to do with Tum'ah should still apply. Um, and the husband only has a right to undo the part that has to do with wine. So, if you say, like Rabbi Yochanan did, that he has a right only to undo the part that causes her affliction, but he cannot undo the part that does not have give her affliction, well, Tum'ah does not give her affliction. So when she goes and she becomes Tameh, she should be fully liable, right? Maybe he would, maybe they may, maybe he could be going on the part that he does, because he doesn't have to nullify it, but maybe he did nullify the part that is for the wine only, but there's no way that he'd be able to undo the part that would, uh, of the, of the vow, that would prohibit her to be coming tameh lamet because there's no affliction there and therefore she should be liable. Why come it says she's only liable to bring one bird? She should be liable to bring everything. And the answer is uh, actually we could answer here uh, the same way that we did before that uh, there's no uh, there's no nazirut lachasain. You can't be a partial nazir. But we don't answer that question, which suggests that you actually can be a nazir for one or two of the three prohibitions. When it said you can't be a partial nazir, before it meant within one of the prohibitions, I can't say I'm just not going to have um, grape juice, but I can have wine skin. I'm not going to have this or this kind of wine, but I'm going to have the other kind of wine. That you can't split down the middle. But um, it sounds from, the, since we don't answer the, that question here, it sounds like you could be a nazir, only for uh, tumat met, but not for wine. Okay. So what is the answer here? No, in fact, the husband can undo the part of the nizirut vow, not only for wine, but also for becoming tameh lamet. Why? Pasuk in Kohelet says, the living should take, keep it in mind. Keep what in mind? What should a person who's alive take to heart? Person who's alive should make sure to eulogize others when they die. He should cry for them when they die. He should bury others when they die. Because, um, as Yogi Berra said, um, always go to other people's funerals, otherwise they won't come to yours. Right? Uh, same, this is exactly what the Gemara is saying. And maybe he, he got it from this, uh, he was doing Dafyomi. He knew this. All right? And so that's the idea. You should always um, give respect to others who pass away, take care of them, bury them. Um, uh, and uh, so that, uh, not that they themselves will, but that the community uh, will take care of that, that person when he eventually dies. Ah, so what's the point? If a person makes a vow that they uh, can't be tamelamet, then that person, in this case, this wife, she is not going to um, to and to go to any funerals to help out with um, uh, with burying anyone. To, to she's not going to be crying for anyone. She's not going to eulogize anyone, and therefore she's going to lose out because. When she passes away, nobody is going to come and take care of her because, oh, remember, she never took care of anyone else. Therefore, this is called an affliction. 
not to be able to become Tameh Lamet, right? You can ask Kohanim, and they would say that this is not, I mean, uh, uh, being Kohen is a privilege, and so it includes a lot of privileges. But this is a difficult thing for Kohanim, that they can't go and enter the room and, uh, and, and give eulogies there, and they can't do a lot of things, and it does cause difficulty. They can't go and visit. Um, in a cemetery anytime they want. Um, so therefore, that is called an affliction, and that explains this uh, baraita, even according to the Biochanan, um, this is called an affliction, and that's why um, she does not have to bring all of the korbanot. All right, we come to the next Mishnah. Konam she'ani nehena, nehena labiriyot, en o yachol hafer. Vicholahi lehanot beleket shehecha ubepe'ah. Woman makes a vow, I am not receiving benefit from anyone, all bidiyot, all living beings, all people. Um, the husband cannot undo that. This is a challenge to Shemuel, who we saw in the previous staff, says if she says, I'm not going to benefit from one person, the husband can annul it because who knows, maybe she'll need that one person. Um, okay, we didn't ask from this Mishnah. Uh, maybe the Gemara would answer that this Mishnah, remember the whole pedic is Rebiyose only. And so, as Shemuel said, oh, I'm not following Rebiyose, I'm following uh, Rabbanan. Okay, so that's how we could answer it. Anyway, the point here is that he cannot undo it. And the question is why? Uh, now, it does have another clause that may be the explanation of why. The Gemara is going to give three explanations to this phrase. Um, but the point, the main point is that even though she said, I'm not going to benefit from anyone, she is allowed to benefit from the gleanings, the forgotten sheaves, and the corners that are left by a farm owner for the poor. Because he leaves them for the poor, so then he, he gives up ownership of them. And so if a woman, come, woman comes and she's going to collect from the corner of the field, she's not benefiting from that field owner um, because the field owner donated it, right? Made it, uh, made it uh, proper of uh, all the poor, it's hefked, any poor person has a right to it, so therefore she is not directly benefiting from the field owner, all that is permitted. This can be understood as a reason. How come the husband cannot undo it? Because after all, she can still live, it's not that she's going to starve to death, she'll just go and be get lekechichampea. She's poor because uh, she can't get any, any benefit from anybody, so that could be, that's one explanation as we'll see. Okay, someone says, I make a prohibition like a korban for Kohanim and Leviim to benefit from me. So now he has a produce, he takes Tiruma, he takes Maser, he's separating them there. But no Kohanim or Leviim can get take them because he made a prohibition. The law is that they can come and take it against his will. Even though he made this prohibition that they cannot benefit from him, that's true. They can't go into his house and just, uh, you know, enjoy uh, sitting down in his couch. That they wouldn't be able to do. But this, because it's separated, the Tirumah already belongs to the Kohanim and the Maser belongs to the Levi. So they're only taking what's theirs already. It's kind of similar to the first case where what what the what a person separates for the poor already belongs to the poor, and so it doesn't violate the vow. Here also it does not violate the vow; they can come and take it. Kohanim elu ulvim elu li yitilu acherim. However, if a person, uh, uh, the farmer, says this these particular kohanim or these particular levim, he gets into a fight. He doesn't like this this family, the Levi family. Um, so, so this this particular family, uh, they cannot benefit from me. In that case, those guys can't because other Levi'im can come and take it. Um, so since he didn't say all Kwanim, all Levi'im, 
um, and only some. So he, when he separates it, it, it separated to me, it separated for some Kohanim, some Levim, since there are some who can come and take it. Um, so it belongs to, to them. They, those Kohanim that he prohibited from the vow would not be able to take it. Other people can. All right, that's the Mishnah. Gemara asks, Alma, if de mit zan mit zena midile, mikla de ba la bechlal bidiyot hu. Um, so now we're in- interpreting the first line. Let's take it just by itself. Um, the first line says, if she says, if a woman says, I'm not going to benefit from anyone, the husband cannot annul it. Now, why not? How's she going to live? Right? And this, uh, this is going to be a major affliction to her. Oh, maybe because she can benefit from her husband. When she said, I'm not going to have any benefit from anyone in the world, surely she meant except for my husband. She didn't mean my husband also because she's dependent on on her husband for sustenance. And so we can see from here that the reason why the husband cannot annul it. See, if she says, I'm not going to eat, then the husband can annul it, right? We saw that already. If she's not going to eat fruit, the husband can annul it. That surely is an affliction. But if she says, I'm not going to benefit from anyone, the husband cannot annul it, must be because she has a source of sustenance and means from her husband. She didn't mean to... Uh, include her husband. So from that line, it sounds like a husband is not included in the category of bidiyot when she says the vow in her mind. All right, that's a good inference. But the next line says, when she makes this vow, she can, sounds like they're saying only, she can only benefit from that farmer leaves for the poor. Now she's poor, so she can take them. But it sounds like she can only benefit from that, but not from her husband. Sounds like since she can only take from there and not from her husband, it sounds like the husband is included in the category of bidiot. So when she says, I cannot benefit from all beings, that includes her husband. That's why she has to go and take only from the gleanings. And so we have an excluded middle here. Entrance from the first line and entrance from the second line contradict each other. All right, we're going to have three answers to this. Amar Ula, Le'olam la'bichlal bidiyotu. Really, we're going to, uh, really, uh, the husband is not included in the bidiyot, and so therefore she can get sustenance from the husband. Ve'od en yachol lehafer, mipneh she'yachol lehanot beleket she'yachol Now, all that was one reason why she, why he cannot undo it because she can benefit from him that's reason number one and now there's a second reason why he cannot undo it because she can also benefit from the gleanings so the mishnah is actually giving two options um, when she says i'm not going to benefit from all people he cannot annul it because she can still get her sustenance from the husband who's not included or from the gleanings which are also not included okay that's answer number one Norava says the husband is included in the prohibition because he's part of Bidiyot. She cannot benefit from the husband. And the Mishnah is structured as a law and the reason. What's the reason why the husband cannot undo the vow? Because she has a means to sustenance, which is the gleanings. So really, she cannot benefit from the husband, but nevertheless, he cannot undo it because of the gleanings. So really, it's only one source of sustenance that she has. All right. Uh, third answer, Rav Nachman Amar, Le'olam ba'al la'bichlal beriyotu. 
maybe in fact the husband is not included. So we're going back to what Ula says. Um, he's not included, therefore she can benefit from the husband. It's similar, similar to, to Ula, but it's giving the, the two options in a time sequence. While she's married, he cannot undo it because she can benefit from her husband. Husband is not included in the prohibition of the vow. And even if she should get divorced, when she gets divorced, then she can go and get Lechet because then she's really totally poor. She can't benefit. She's not. Uh, uh, um, she, uh, even people with would give, would give her gifts um, or, or sell her things, but she can't benefit from anyone. Um, so therefore, it's like she's effectively poor. And so, when she gets divorced, she can take That's the third answer. All right. Well, we should finish off this topic. Um, because we're going to have a challenge to Rav Nachman. Really, do you think that a husband is not part of the of the phrase Bidiyot, and therefore she can benefit from the husband? Mishnah coming up soon uh, says that if she makes a vow, I am removed from the Jews, by which she means I am not going to have marital relations with any Jews. Um, so Mishnah there teaches that he can undo part of the vow that has to do with him and therefore they will be permitted, that husband and wife, to have relations, although she should she should they get divorced, she will will continue to be prohibited to all other Jews. Uh, so this is a good example of Benola Bena. This will affect their relationship, will surely affect their relationship. So we can uh, he can annul that part that affects their relationship, but he cannot annul the rest of it. Okay, so now what's the point? What's the question from here? She didn't specify the husband's yet. She should have said, I am prohibited from the Jews. Now we're comparing Jews to Bidiyot, everyone, which is probably what she means anyway. She doesn't mean that she'll be permitted to a non-Jew. That's not in her mind that she's going to go marry a non-Jew one day. She means anyone that I could even possibly marry uh, is prohibited to me. So here, in this, in this case, he has to annul it because he, the husband, is included in the general category. And if you say that um, Rav Nachman, that is what Rav Nachman said, uh, that a husband is not included in Biriyot, then he should also not be included here. And then if he's going to annul it, he, he, she may be able to annul it as Inui Nefesh, as affliction. We discussed above, is this considered affliction or not? Um, so if you do, then he can annul it. But if it was Inui Nefesh, then you would annul it for all people forever, right? Because um, uh, annulment through affliction, um, he can do, and that and that sticks forever. Only if it's Benol Bena, if it's something that affects them, then he can annul it only to the extent that affects them. But once they get divorced, or in a, the, to the extent that it applies to other people, he cannot annul. What you see from this Mishnah is that this is not, he's, he's not annulling it as a He's annulling it only because it's Ben Olibena, and he has to annul it because he is included. So why is he included in Yehudim if a husband is not included in Biriyot? And the answer is, Oh, it depends on the context. In this context, it's clear, right, um, that she meant 
uh, to prohibit herself to something that is permitted. She is prohibited from any other man in any case while she's married. And she is married right now. So what is she going to do? While she's married, she can take a vow. I'm not going to be with anybody else. Well, you can't be with anybody else besides your husband anyway. Obviously, she meant to add a prohibition and say, I'm prohibited to all Jews, including her husband, right? I don't know. She's angry at her husband. And she says, she, she's sometimes, uh, um, uh, I never experienced this, but uh, um, a woman, a uh, wife gets angry at her husband and she says, I hate all men, right? Um, and so she's doing something like that. So obviously, it's directed primarily to her husband. Um, whereas in the case where she says uh, before, and I'm not going to benefit from Bidiyot, from all people, that is not necessarily Dr. Husband. Maybe it's actually the opposite. You know, I'm only dependent on you, my husband. I don't need help from anybody else. So the context there in Bidiyot uh, is, uh, shows that she is excluding her husband. The context here, um, Yehudim uh, uh, um, implies that she is including. And that's why you have to look at each context. Remember, vows only go by the, what's, the what the person has in mind. And so you can tell from the context what the person has in mind, and that solves the problem. Baruch Adonai Amen ve'amen.